How do you feel about true crime? How do I feel about true crime? Like, do, would I like to commit it or just in general, watch it or read it or the fact that it happens? I think it's terrible <laughs> that it happens. Okay. What about fake crime? You in favor of that? Oh, yeah. I had a okay. career in a murder mysteries. Come on. That's All true. All about fake crime. The candlestick. Well, you, you should check out this uh, new podcast called Peoples for the People. Okay. It's about a disappearance of an 18-year-old girl named Heidi. So already so, you're paying attention. I'm in. Yeah. I'm downloading it, not listening to yeah. you right now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so she disappeared in 1994. And then... Uh, this guy Gary Thibodeau who contacted the police and said hey I was the last person I think to, to probably see her uh, around because I guess they don't know if she's dead or what happened um, he's been charged with this kidnapping so now flash forward two decades ahead uh, Thibodeau is in jail for all of this and his lawyers find out that this missing 18 year old who was named Heidi yes stay, t- stay with me uh, I'm with you what happened? Riveted, what happened actually. to Heidi? I know. Um, I don't know what happened to Heidi. Well, I also want to know what happened to Gary. Right. So Gary's in jail. Gary's, we know where Gary is, unfortunately, and that's that's jail. Heidi, we don't know. But it turns out uh, that they found out that she was a confidential drug informant for the police and that her identity had been exposed uh, publicly when she was a teenager. So maybe that had something to do with this that nobody thought to mention at the time they've got new suspects that were implicated in 2013 and now in the finale which uh, is coming out on Monday this 15 part series Gary Thibodeau and his lawyers head to the highest court in New York State to to try to free him so yes it's very good I I highly recommend it so you can listen to People's for the People wherever you get your podcasts or wherever you get your true crime Why is recorded in front of a live studio audience? What What's going on here? What's the world is ending? I don't know. I don't know if you have this. I was going to say issue, but I don't think it's an issue. Where you wake up with something in your head and you don't know where it came from, what inspired it. I think I texted you the other day where I woke up and I had magic to do from yes. Pippin stuck in my head. Yes. Which is a weird thing to feel like I'm depressed about the world and I've got magic to do stuck in my head. Well, that's what gets you through the day. It's it's true. But yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it occurred to me, especially in podcasts, because we've been doing a lot of these ads and stuff, people always say, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Yes. I don't think I have ever sat back, relaxed, and enjoyed. Oh, no, never in my entire life. Like, I have sat back, laid down on the sofa, and fallen asleep. And frankly, that's a good night. Yeah. That's all you can ask for nowadays, right? I, yeah. I have sat back and lifted my chair off the front and fallen on my back. Okay. There you go. That's something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you sat back. I think you can do two out of three. You can't do all three. No. Right. Because the only other pl- and I don't sit back on, you know, they say that on flights. I don't sit back mm-hmm. on a flight because I'm a very courteous flyer. Right. Are you relaxed? Oh, hell no. Are you enjoying? Not usually. Okay. See right there. You go down swinging. Mm-hmm. But like... It, I can understand sitting back and enjoying. Right. Right. I can understand sitting back and relaxing. True. I can understand. Relaxing and enjoying. Exactly. I don't think you can do all three. And I don't know if that's because of the hellscape that we now live in, or if this is just, has always been this, that we've never really realized it. 
I don't know. I think maybe it depends on the person. Does it? Is it just me? Am I just sort of No, because it's me too, but I'm clearly broken. (laughs) I'm shattered. This is Why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. No, no Gorilla Glue can fix this one. Um, Yeah, no, I don't know. That's very perplexing. And all of these ads we've seen, and and it's always like, sit back, relax, and enjoy our show. I don't enjoy anything anymore. We don't say that, do we? No, we don't, because we don't think it's ever going to happen. Okay, good. I mean, we say other things like, you must listen. It's going to change your life. Things like that. Oh, yes, of course, because it is. Uh, We didn't say it's going to change your life for the better. We didn't say you're going to enjoy having your life changed. True. We are probably messing up children left and right out there. Oh, completely. I, Judging by our numbers, it seems like there's two or three kids in Asia or Australia who listen to the show and were just like, not again. Yeah. <laughs> not today, true. Satan. Nope. But I just, I don't know. It, it just occurred to me where I'm like, I've never done all three things at once. No. It's one of those things too, though. It almost feels like a waste of emotions or feelings to do mm. all three it's like going to get a massage and falling asleep that's terrible mm. who wants to yeah, do that yeah definitely right. right you either get a massage or you fall asleep like that's right. awful so it's the same thing like either sit back and enjoy or sit back and relax or relax and right. enjoy but all three you're like one's wasted because you can't mm-hmm. you know because like i feel like a massage you can relax and you can enjoy both the massage and the courtesy robe they give you well there you go and that's that's a great afternoon right there. Yeah, well, depending where you go. <laughs> what, it can take more than an afternoon? Is that what you're saying? It could. Yeah. <laughs> Find the right spot. Yeah, literally. Um, yeah. But I don't know. It, you're right. I think maybe that's what it is, that it's just combining too many. It's like chocolate peanut butter, and then we throw in some caramel or something. We were like, we don't need that. Okay, but that is actually the trifecta of perfect flavors. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. Because you get the saltiness of the caramel? Mm-hmm. Right, okay. How do you feel about chocolate-covered pretzels? I like them. I don't I think see... they're the rage that people talk about, but I do like them. I feel it's the waste of chocolate. Yeah. The salt so overtakes the chocolate. Where's the fun? I really don't like the ones that are the sticks, because it looks pretty, and then you have like mm. chocolate to a point, and then now what do you do with it? Right. No, I can sit back and relax with those. I can't enjoy them. <laughs> no, exactly. No, because you're always left with that little nub of just pretzel. Right. It's like the nub of sadness. Yeah. <laughs> like nobody wants it. And now for some ads. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at the Riverdale High AV Club, a podcast dedicated to Archie Comics and the world of, of Archie and Jughead and Betty and Heidi. Right? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> the show can be enjoyed even if you aren't familiar with the comics or, or Riverdale, the show, and they get into all of that. They also have a side series called RHS Public Access, where they talk about different Archie titles in popular media. They've watched season one of Riverdale, and starting this October, they are going to be starting The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Season one. Set your DVR. <laughs> for more information you can visit their website which is riverdalehighav.club 
Be sure to follow them on social media at Riverdale High AV. And the show can be found on all major podcast platforms such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and all the big ones. Name another big one. Um, when did you first fall in love with penguins? I, I always called penguins my accidental career because I they weren't even on my radar until I went back to college at the age of 32 for a degree in veterinary nursing so I could work with dolphins because I was always obsessed with dolphins from the age of five. Um, and But during the course of my time at college, it was a four-year program. The senior year was all externships. And so I did have an externship for four months in Hawaii with dolphins, and it was unbelievable. Um, and then my senior year, I had another four-month full-time externship to do, and I chose to go to the nearby New England Aquarium in the Penguin Department. And that was really my first sort of real interaction with penguins. And that first day, I remember getting into the wetsuit and climbing down into this penguin exhibit, and you're chest deep in freezing cold water from Boston Harbor and surrounded by 65 squawking, braying, honking penguins. And I'm like, these guys are kind of cool too. <laughs> so that was how it all started. So I always say that the dolphins sort of brought me eventually to the penguins. Did that internship then manifest into a job? Was that something you kind of knew instantly that's what you wanted to go with this? I graduated uh, the end of that school year and I knew I had a choice at that point. I could either go back to Hawaii or maybe try to get a job with dolphins in um, the Bahamas and because really dolphins still were my first love, but my parents were aging at that point. And I thought, you know, I feel as though I probably need to stick around the Boston area. And so I decided it was a really tough decision, uh, but I ultimately decided to go for a job at the New England Aquarium. I volunteered, you know, so as soon as I graduated, I kept volunteering. And that's really important for people that are interested in getting into that field and zoo and aquaria is to be present and to be a volunteer and to be, show them how valuable you are um, and what a hard worker you are. And when a position opened up, I luckily got that position. Uh, and so, yeah, it wasn't something I had um, planned ahead of time. I went back to school to work with dolphins, um, but it worked out. It, it turned out to be the right decision um, you know, my parents did end up needing me a few years after that. So, and, and, you know, I never in a million years could have planned or imagined all of the incredible places working with penguins has brought me. So such as, <laughs> such <laughs> as so the first thing I think that is the most, you know, life-changing for me was three years after I began working at the New England Aquarium in the Penguin Department, a ship sank off the coast of Cape Town, South Africa, and 20,000 penguins were covered with oil. Another 20,000 penguins were removed from their breeding island just before the oil hit. Um, and I was a member of the first team to fly to Cape Town from the U.S. to help train and supervise 12,500 completely inexperienced volunteers that had come to help with the rescue effort. And it was by far the most grueling, exhausting, stressful, intense experience of my life, but yeah, also the most rewarding and definitely life-changing. So what was that like when you got there? Like when you first arrived there and saw what had happened, 
how did you know what to do? <laughs> That's the thing. We really didn't. We had no idea what our roles would be once we arrived. We had no idea what was expected of us. We just knew that they needed our help. They needed people that had experience working with penguins and experience managing and training volunteers. It's, you know, a lot of people have both of that. <laughs> Clearly, that's a common to have both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so many. I mean, over the course of this three-month rescue, they had experts like myself come in staggered shifts. And over the course of those three months, there were just 110 of us. So oh. that's the worldwide, you know, that we're able to come. Yeah. You know, so there aren't a lot of people who this is what they do for a living. Um, and so when we arrived, I mean, that first moment walking into this massive warehouse that had been literally constructed in three days time to house most of these oiled penguins, because the local rehab center, which is called San Cobb, they were bursting at the seams within three days. They're only designed to hold about 2000 penguins and they had 5,000. So they, mm. they knew we've got to build another center. So they did in downtown Cape Town at a place called Salt River um, in an old train repair warehouse. And that was where we were first uh, stationed. And after our first day of just going from pen to pen, force feeding penguins and sort of getting a lay of the land and a feel for what was going on, we had we went back to the hotel after midnight, had a quick sandwich, and then sat down for a debriefing meeting. And that's when we got our assignments for the next few weeks. And there were eight of us in that first team. And my colleague from the aquarium and I were put in charge of room two. And room two had more than 4,000 oiled penguins in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I was, it was like sheer panic in that moment. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, yeah. And, and honestly, no one knew how to do this because it was the largest animal rescue that had ever been attempted ever anywhere of any kind of species. Oh my gosh. So no one knew if what we were even attempting to do was humanly possible. So it was terrifying. But you did yeah. it. Miraculously we did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sort of figured it out as we went. And of course we had um, a few, key organizations that were there overseeing this rescue. So there was Sancob, who has been there in Cape Town for 40 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But normally they're rescuing a few hundred penguins or maybe a few thousand at the maximum. Um, And then there was the IBRRC, which is now called IBR, International Bird Rescue. And they're based in California and they're the de-oiling wildlife experts. So they were there. And then IFA, South Africa, was there. And they were sort of the overseeing the logistics of all this operation. So we didn't do it alone and we could not have done it without those volunteers. How do you get oil off a penguin? Is it like a Calgon, uh, white, white rain, the Barbara Mandel shampoo? Um, what do they prefer? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Actually. So, um, Two years before this oil spill, we had hosted a de-oiling wildlife workshop at the New England Aquarium and Tri-State Bird Rescue, which is based in Rhode Island, came up to run this workshop. And over the years, you know, it's been sort of a trial and error. And what they now, what they were using is Dawn. They've found that Dawn is the best degreaser. It's the most gentle. Um, you know, it's now in my kitchen ever since learning that, that it's, it's good for the penguins. It's good enough for me. Um, 
And but in Cape Town at that time, they didn't have access to Dawn. So we were using a product, a household detergent called LDC. And that was actually donated um, by the company, which is GNLD. And they donated, I think it was 7,700 liters of this product to help us wash the penguins. So, so the other part of this washing process before you actually, you know, dunk the penguin in this tub of hot soapy water and start agitating that hot soapy water through its feathers to break down the oil. Before you do that, you actually spray them with a first, a, a degreaser and, and you spray them with a degreaser, let them marinate for a little while. And that loosens up this thick bunker oil and then you wash them. And so, um, at Sand Cobb, two years prior to the Treasure Oil spill, a 17-year-old science student, high school student, had invented a degreaser for a different purpose. But he realized, you know, I think we might be able to use this for, for de-oiling the penguins. And so he went to Sand Cobb and he went to Estelle Vandermeer, who at the time was the CEO, and said, what do you think? And so, of course, when they're testing anything like that, they're not going to test it on live birds in the beginning. So they're testing it on a carcass. And then like, wow, this seems to work great. And then she handed the penguin, uh, a, a bird had come in that was heavily oiled. She, without telling the, the, the washer, who was her best washer, she put half of the regular degreaser on one half of the body. And then this Louis, his name was Louis Koch, Louis degreaser on the other half, handed the bird to him and said, okay, go at it. And, you know, like an hour later, he comes back. He's like, I'm not sure what's going on. Like half of the penguin looks okay, but the other half is really clean. So he's like, okay, so this really works. So we were using his degreaser during the treasure rescue and ran out partway through. So she called Louis. She said, can you go to the lab and make more? And he did. And, and so I just think it's the coolest thing in the world yeah. that a teenager. That's very cool. Right? Yeah. Invents yeah. a product that saves the lives of thousands of oiled birds. And he went on to become a human doctor, actually. I'm comedian David Race in Los Angeles. I host a celebrity-filled paranormal talk show like no other. Monstrosity has great guests answering weird questions. You won't believe the combo of celebrities and paranormal experts who've been on this show. I guarantee you'll like Monstrosity or you get your time back. Go to monstrositypodcast.com right now and take a look. That's fantastic. Good. We need him. <laughs> we <Yeah>. need him. <laughs> yep. So does that mean if I ever come across a penguin in the wild that sort of a, has a citrusy bouquet to him that he was at one point covered in oil? <laughs> That's a possibility. Okay. All right. Um, did any of these penguins that you rescued ever write you a thank you note? You know, you would think they might be have some shred of gratitude, but no. Well, uh, no, it, it's interesting, though, actually. They, <laughs> they have incredible memories. And so, uh, so there's two things I want to point out when you, because it made me think of this. A few years after the treasure rescue, when you release these birds, you put these metal bands on their wings that have numbers on them. So it's an ID band so that the scientists can monitor them and see how they're doing over time. And a couple years after the treasure rescue, um, some researchers were, were out on an island and they were doing some work and they see this 
lone penguin just sort of standing there looking at them. And as they approach, it just stood there, which isn't typical penguin behavior. You know, they might usually waddle away. And it, and it looked very thin and not very healthy. And they just walked right up and picked it right up. It didn't try to bite them, which normally they would do. And they've got very sharp beaks. Uh, and they brought it back to their lab. And they said when they were holding, one of the guys was holding the penguin and it started to nibble at his finger gently, like, do you have fish? And they noticed the band was from the treasure rescue. So it seemed to remember, like, I need help. These creatures, <laughs> these tall two-legged creatures seem to know how to help. And, you know, so it, it, it seemed to offer itself up for rescue. That, oh, there's something, I do feel there's something about penguins. Like people are so drawn to penguins. Mm -hmm. What is it from all of your experience with them? What is it that makes them so special? Like how did they seduce you away from dolphins? <laughs> I think there are two things. I think because I've never been a bird person, I've always been into mammals, marine mammals, land mammals. I've been Me obsessed too. with mammals since I can remember. Uh, and they're, very mammalian like you know their 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 behavior their robustness they're really you know i mean a lot of people confuse them they're like are they part mammal part bird you know the early explorers weren't sure i had a guy argue with me for all he was worth at the aquarium one day i was giving a talk he's like well they're part mammal and part bird right I'm like no they're a hundred percent bird and he kept going at me and i think it's because he had his daughter there and he must have told her you know, they're half and half. And he was trying to save face. And I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie to 300 people so that, you know, you can save face in front of your daughter. Wow. They're birds. <laughs> but they do have mammal-like behaviors. And also, I think because they stand and walk upright, I think that a lot of people find them just sort of amusing and relatable because they're bipedal. You know, they kind of stand up and, and walk like we do. And I think maybe that's why people just sort of naturally feel drawn to them. They're just they, sort of comical. Yeah, they are. And they waddle yeah. like they're drunk. So, you know, yeah. people like that too. Do you have a favorite penguin? Do you, do you like the emperors or the fairy penguins? Is there one that stands out? And I would ask members of the penguin community who are listening to cover their ears for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, until a year ago, I would have said Little Blues. Um, we did have Little Blues at the New England Aquarium. And I think what was so captivating about them is they are the smallest of the penguins. They only weigh two to three pounds and they only stand about eight inches high. And they're adorable. And they actually are blue on the back. And they also have the widest range of vocalizations. So they have all these incredible trills and barks and quacks and growls. And, and even at the aquarium, sometimes at the end of a really long day, my coworker and I, we'd close up the penguin office. You know, the building is empty. There's no one there. And we just sit there for 45 minutes watching and listening to the little blues, kind of screaming their heads off. Um, but a year ago, I went to South Georgia Island for the first time. And, and this is on a trip to Antarctica. I was a guest lecturer for Lynn Blood Expeditions and National Geographic, and it was my second season with them. But the first time going to South Georgia Island. And on South Georgia, there are these massive hundreds, thousands strong colonies of king penguins, which are the second largest. They look very much like the emperor penguin. That's their smaller cousin. And 
they were they're so beautiful like the colors these orange and yellow patches they have these beautiful long beaks and the thing that surprised me the most was how curious they were about us so if you just sat down or stood in one place they'd come right over and and they'd nibble on you you know i have i had one nibble on my finger nibble on my boots nibble on my camera and they just sort of i said okay these guys are have just become my favorite penguin that's awesome how do people react when you tell them what you do? I, you know, when I first started, when I left the aquarium and I started my business, the Penguin Lady, I started, I joined a few different networking groups, business networking groups. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, you know, you kind of go and you do your 30 second spiel. What do you do? You go around the room where you're meeting people. What do you do? And I say, well, I'm a penguin expert. And there's always sort of this blank stare, very confused. Like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> like, what right. do you do? What does a penguin expert do? Um, Get the hell out of selling and, insurance. And so it's it's such an unusual thing. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, a lot of times people are a little perplexed, and and then you know I kind of tell them a little bit about what I do, and then they're like, oh wow, that's really cool. And the thing is, when I started this, I mean, I knew nothing about branding and all that. But what I discovered very quickly was I had, it was very accidental branding. The name, the penguin lady came to me instantly when I knew what I wanted to do, because that's what people would say in the aquarium when they'd see me in the, in the exhibit in my wetsuit surrounded by penguins, they go, Oh, look, it's a penguin lady. (laughs) And so when I kind of decided I'm going to kind of bring the penguin show on the road and I sat down to think of, of what do I call this? The penguin lady just, you know, popped to mind. Um, and people remember it. Like I'll, you know, somebody, I might meet him at a business networking meeting seven years later. Oh, you're the penguin lady. I remember you. Does the name Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot mean anything to you? And should he be saved? Why or why not? And please show your work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling tremendous pressure right now. It, doesn't is that from mr popper's penguins no, uh, no that'd be the no? penguin from batman it's the um, penguin yeah the penguin oh and i get the it the penguin <laughs> you know caesar romero's joker can go straight to hell but the penguin there's a bit of a <laughs> soft side a soft underbelly if you will do you think he's one of the more sympathetic villains i i i don't know about that <laughs> no one's ever asked you this. I'm shocked. I don't know if I have a lot to say about that. Okay, fine. Be that way. Um, you might want to revise the book. Just saying. <laughs> you said like there's, you know, 19 species, 15 are on the endangered list. For, is there any good news that you can pass along to kind of help us end everything on an up note? What can people do in their houses right now to help keep these species alive and out there? So I will say a little bit of good news, which you may or may not have heard this story last week, uh, that they discovered 11 new colonies of emperor penguins in Antarctica. And the way that they discovered those colonies was by observing their poop from space, from satellite imagery. Um, So that bumps up the known population by 5 to 10 percent. So that's good news. Uh, And what people can do, so the top two threats to penguins, the reason we're seeing these huge declines in their populations, um, of course, it's because of people and all the different things that we do, but the top two threats are global warming and overfishing of their food source. 
And climate change, you know, the global warming impacts them in various ways, but mostly by impacting their ability to get enough food. And so between those top two, overfishing and global warming, starvation is a big issue. So, but global warming and overfishing are things that as individuals, we can have some impact on. You know, we can reduce our own carbon footprint. We can choose to either not eat seafood at all or just eat ocean, you know, safe seafood. You can look for that blue label in the store on, to see if it's safe seafood, um, you know, because bycatch is such a big problem. So, you know, there are steps that we can take. I mean, there's a ripple effect, right? Everything we do has a ripple effect. And so even if we don't live someplace where there are penguins at the beach, you know, the way we treat our own environment in our own backyard impacts the greater environment as a whole. So, you know, the ocean is all one ocean, it's all connected. So um, I think we just need to be mindful of, of the way we're treating the planet. For more information on Diane's work, to get a copy of her book, to watch her TED Talk, go to her website, which is thepenguinlady.com. You can follow us on all the various socials. Our website is whythepodcast.com and has all sorts of additional stories and videos. It's also where you can sign up for our newsletter. We're also on YouTube if you're into that kind of thing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, because if you don't, We'll call your mother and tell her that she's completely right. You would look so much prettier if you smiled more. Why the Podcast is part of Mudhouse Media. Today's show was produced by myself and Heidi Hegquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sovey and Sandy Stone. Our willing executive producers are Rachel Allen and Randy Chinette. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynth O Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?